You're listening to KDRT LP 95.7 here in Davis, California. Hello out there. How you doing? The program is That's Life, and I'm your host. My name's Lois Richter. Well, you're probably listening to this on KDRT because that's where I make the show. If you're listening to us on some other radio station, well, congratulations. If you want to hear archives, come to our radio station, kdrt.org. Look for the archives of That's Life. Today, I have a guest that many of you will know. And that's because he is the other co-host on our weekly radio show called The Davis Garden Show. His name is Don Shore, and he owns the nursery here in Davis, Redwood Barn Nursery. It's over on Fifth Street, right next to the television station, radio station, which is actually how I met him, because I used to do television shows, and we used to borrow plants from Don. This was back in the 90s. Anyway, Don Shore, welcome to my show. Great to be here. So you have been on my show before talking about jazz. He, he does a jazz program here on KDRT, wonderful jazz program. And we've done Davis Garden Show together for oh over 15 years. But today I wanted to pick your brains about something of local concern. We live in Davis, California in the middle of the Sacramento Valley. And we have lots of trees here. Now I know that you're a, a nursery professional and you know lots about plants in general, but trees are a special thing for you, aren't they? Yeah, I grew up in coastal Southern California where the most common trees are interesting trees, palm trees and big interesting conifers like the Norfolk Island pine and tropical trees, avocados and that sort of thing. And when I was probably 11 or 12 years old, we happened to pass through and stay for about a week in Davis, California because my dad was here at a conference. And that was the first time I had been to a place where there were these big monumental shade trees. I had never seen anything like that before. The great big sycamores, in those days, the elms in the downtown area of Davis, the Modesto ash trees. And I was actually quite enchanted by that. These wonderful trees arching over where everybody was. We were here in the spring, but being a coastal denizen, spring here was already pretty hot by my standards. And I really appreciated those trees. And then we spent some time driving around on campus and out towards Poudre Creek. And I was quite taken by the large leafy shade trees here. My grandmother owned property in upstate New York. And um, late after she died, we went back there a couple of times to settle the estate. It was woods. It was New York woods. Woodland. It, to me, as a Southern California resident, was like nothing I'd ever seen before. Again, you know, if you didn't mow the meadow, it filled in with trees, great big oaks and maples and things like this. So I was immediately enchanted by these trees, partly because they were so new to me. Then I came up here to study, go to school, study horticulture, go into the nursery business, and they've been a fascination of mine ever since. When you say woodlands, that's something that the people living in Davis don't really have any knowledge of either, because 
we have a tree here and a tree there, but we don't have the woodlands like they do back east. I know I grew up in, in backwoods Michigan up by Canada, and boy, we had woods, yeah, solid woods. Yeah. But here, the closest you can get is if you go up into the foothills, you'd be up in the scrub. Right. When I first moved here, I didn't I didn't realize that all of the trees I was admiring so much had been planted by people. Uh, there are there are trees that are native here, of course, but this where we are, Davis, Woodland, Dixon area is a valley grassland plant community. So if you're walking through here, let's say four or five hundred years ago, you would have depending on which part, which route you chose, you'd be walking through knee or ankle high grasses, bunch grasses with maybe every mile or so a great big oak tree in some of the lower areas where there might be some extra moisture for it. Or you'd be trying to walk through tule swamps or marshes where there would be some trees on the edges like cottonwoods and things like that. I've read histories of the Sacramento Valley. And when people did come here, there were great, wonderful walnut trees, the native walnut, cottonwood trees, the valley oak in the area where Sacramento, where the rivers come together in Sacramento. But for the most part, on what is now beautiful farmland around here would be valley grassland and here and there a great big beautiful oak and here and there still are some of those great big beautiful oaks in the arboretum where they've estimated the ages of the trees and here and there south davis there's a great monumental one thought to be about 400 years old but no you're correct you wouldn't have been walking through a shaded woodland such as we saw in New York or Michigan or someplace like that. Being an avid gardener like you, I know that back there, their biggest problem is if you don't cut the trees down, your garden will all get shaded out. That's not really our problem here. We're in a very different climate and a very different plant community. So we plant trees to make this area more habitable for the many people who now live here. And what are you doing these days about trees? I understand when you were a kid, you got enchanted by it. But now, do you have on your own property, have you planted a forest? Yes, I live on a farm. And aside from the trees that I've planted, you know, that grow nuts and things like that, I've planted lots and lots of trees. In fact, I inherited an amazing hybrid walnut when we bought this place in the 1980s, which has got, I have measured it, a 150 foot canopy. 150 feet across is this tree which was planted in about 1923 or 24. Uh, my house is right under a, a beautiful sycamore tree that's about 75 feet tall with about a 40 or 50 foot spread. So I take very careful care of those old trees, which is an important thing to learn about. And then I've planted a lot of trees, one, to shade my house, to cool my house, to, which is an important thing that trees do. On the north side where our bedroom is, instead of air conditioning, I just have a whole lot of trees planted to the north. And I would rather water them than pay for air conditioning bills. So the air that comes in the window is filtered through the trees. So yes, I've planted a lot of trees, both for energy conservation, because they're beautiful, and actually because I kind of like a lot of trees. I, I'll plant things just because I think they're cool and interesting. So I do personally collect, some people collect stamps, postcards, coins. I collect maples, oaks, willows, and I have quite a collection of some of those. You said you planted the trees on the north side for your air conditioning, but the sun in the summertime, is, isn't it coming from the south side? To shade the house, I plant to the west, yes, and to the south. The ones on the north are to filter the air that's coming through, not only to clean the air, but to cool it. And so that area is is my natural air conditioning. And I do like to, I'd rather, again, I said before, I'd rather water trees than pay a PG&E bill. And I think that many people would. So I think it's very important 
when you're considering shading your house, especially if you now have solar panels, things like that, get professional advice, talk to people who can tell you how big a tree will grow, make sure it's an appropriate tree. One of the saddest things I'll see is a great big beautiful tree being taken out because it was the wrong tree in the wrong place. Mm -hmm. That's a very frustrating situation because it's 30, 40 years, a tree is really getting going with its benefits in many cases. And then a lot of people look at it, oh, they decided to put solar panels on or they, you know, they want more sun in that part of the garden. Out comes a tree that has had all those resources put into it. So one of the core things that we, I always want to get across when we're giving presentations on trees is choose the right tree for your situation. Choose a tree that's appropriate to your irrigation, to your soil, to your needs, to the size of your lot, to the placement of your house and all those different factors that go into What's going to be the, the best tree for you? A tree has generally one stem and then it's got leaves and stuff off of branches up high and then it's got roots in the ground to hold it down there. And in our climate now, for those of you who aren't familiar with our climate, it's hot, it's dry, it's in the summertime, we don't have rain for months on months and months. And if you didn't have any trees, the sunshine would be directly on the ground and it'd get, get awful hot. What is the, the top side of the tree has got to be the same temperature as the ground would be if the tree weren't there, wouldn't it? I mean, it's the same amount of sunshine. Nope. Um, the tree is your best natural evaporative cooler in the world. The tree is actually pumping water up and transpiring it and cooling the air around it. Unlike something that simply shades the surface below it, like let's say an arbor or a, a patio structure that just merely casts shade on the ground, the tree is actually directly cooling the air. So one of the most important benefits of trees, and this has been known for years, is reducing urban heat island effect. Uh, urban areas have lots of asphalt, lots of concrete, lots of things that not only absorb heat, but also in some cases reflect heat. The temperature in an urban area is always hotter than in surrounding areas. But if you plant trees over that, it's more than just putting a shade structure over them. It's actually reducing the temperature anywhere from five to 20 degrees just by the act of cooling the air, not just by shading the surface. Trees differ as to how much they do that. And you can see this. You can see some trees have quite a dense canopy and not only shade, but put out lots of cooling effect. Others are more open in form and allow more sunlight through, which might be nice if you're a gardener, but have less cooling effect. But in any event, it's more than just the shading. It's the transpiration of water, evapotranspiration, pulling water out of the soil, putting it into the atmosphere and acting as a, uh, a direct evaporative cooler. So you say the heat islands and urban situation. Well, I'm only one person and I only have one yard. Is my planting one tree going to really do anything? Is there something more I need to do than just plant a tree? Well, that gets to one of the other hats that I put on, you know, that I own a nursery, but I'm also on the board of directors of an organization called Tree Davis, which is a nonprofit organization that is dedicated to enhancing and expanding the urban forest. That's the fancy term we use for all the trees that you and all your neighbors have and uh, teaching people how to care for them and also getting them to plant more. Because if you plant one and your neighbor plants one and all down the street, everybody has a tree that's reaching out and shading over the street and shading over your driveways, you'll directly improve the temperature in your own neighborhood. So the one thing you can do is plant a tree. And the other thing you can do is work to get more trees planted in your neighborhood. And one of the simple ways to do that, if it's you know challenging for you 
you to figure out how to get all your neighbors together and how to decide on what kind of trees to plant. I've helped different neighborhoods with that. It can be a complicated process. Everybody's got opinions. Everybody's got a favorite tree. Some people don't want trees, you know, so it can be helpful to have a nonprofit organization that can give you some guidance on that. The city plants trees, Tree Davis directly plants trees. Let me give you an example. We just finished planting five species of oaks on Russell Boulevard, Davis, uh, where the black walnuts were, the California black walnuts went all the way down Russell Boulevard. Historic trees, that was old US 40. Unfortunately, back in the 70s, someone pruned them very badly. Disease problems got in, mistletoe got in. Most of those trees have become risky or, or simply dying back and they're having to come out. But what a shame to lose that whole canopy of beautiful old trees. Well, we just finished planting, I think it's 200 mm -hmm. oaks over the last three years, all the way down that Russell Boulevard. So that 30 years from now, 40 years from now, there'll be a great big canopy of trees once again. And yes, you could not, you could do more than just plant a tree at your house. You could have come out and helped us plant those trees and helped to stake them and help to mulch them. In other words, we did it all with the community. It wasn't us going out, Tree Davis volunteers, or Tree Davis staff. It was actually work days announced in the Davis Enterprise and on the radio and other places. And we get, particularly during the pandemic, this is interesting, 15, 20, 25, 30, 40 people turning out to help us plant trees, stake them, tie them, mulch them, and do all those things that are necessary. So it turned out to be a great community building activity during the pandemic. You could be outside, you could socially distance, it was wonderful exercise, and you were doing something great for the community. And so in just a few years, you'll notice those trees getting some real size to them. In 10 or 20 years, there'll be a canopy developing. And in 30 years, they'll probably be reaching over the street and doing what the black walnuts had done before. And if listeners are interested in seeing what exactly Don is talking about, go down 5th Street toward the west, go mm -hmm. across 113 at the next signal, which is Arnold, isn't it? I think, think so. Arthur, Arthur. Arthur, yeah. And start looking on your left. And those are the places that he's talking about their trees. Is it just and on one side or is it both sides? No, we finished the other side. Well, we've almost finished the other side. Now, here's an important thing about that. We're also hand watering those trees. Wait a minute. Hand watering 200 newly planted oak trees? Yeah, for the first three okay. years. Yeah, so that's what a nonprofit organization does. Lots of people would start tree organizations and get a lot of people planting trees, and that works pretty well in upstate Michigan or New York or Oregon or someplace where nature takes care of the watering for you. As you alluded earlier, we have a Mediterranean rainfall climate here. We get lots of rain some years and not so much others, but it all pretty much happens between October and March. Some rain in April by May. If you have another storm in May, that's interesting. Not a drop of rain, typically June, July, August, most of September. Not uncommon for us to go through October without rainfall. A newly planted tree from a five gallon or 15 gallon container can't make it through the first summer without irrigation. But there's no irrigation to that site. There's no water line there. It's not property that has even a source of water. So what we're doing, we got all this help on planting the trees and we're really grateful to the community for that. Now, Tree Davis staff with a tank truck goes along every two weeks and gives each one of those 200 trees, which are 200 of 1,000 trees roughly that we're doing this for around the city. 10 to 15 gallons of water every two weeks to get them through the first two to three summers. At that point, because of the species that we've chosen, 
They can pretty much be on their own. We will monitor them after that, but they should be able to live on their own after three summers of giving them that irrigation. By the way, we know that twice that much water would be better. 10 to 15 gallons every week would be better if we could do that, but our staff is limited and we do know that it works to give 10 to 15 gallons every two weeks. We appreciate the city of Davis lending us a tank truck that we can fill up with their water and go out and do this hand watering. And I've got to tell you, I was driving in in September of 2022 and it was 100 going up to be 116 degrees that day. And one of our staff guys was out there hand watering trees that morning. And to me, that's probably what got those trees through that extreme heat wave we were having. We have a less than 7% failure rate. And in fact, with that, that whole planting, I believe it's about 5%. And we replace the ones that fail. Are there opportunities for people in the community to uh, volunteer to help with this watering trip? Yeah, actually, we have a we started something called our Tree Stewardship Awards two years ago. And the very first one, I, I nominated this gentleman because I thought this was so charming. We do plant in front of residences and in front of building businesses. We are doing some planting downtown. This was these were planted in front of a small apartment complex that he owns off of Sycamore. And this gentleman took two five gallon paint buckets that he'd cleaned out and a radio flyer wagon and he put them in there and he filled them up once a week and gave each of two buckets worth of water to each tree of the three that we had planted in front of his little apartment complex. So he got them off to a good start. And yes, of course, it helps us when someone will do that. It gives them the extra water they would benefit from. Or in some cases, in his case, we found that he could do all of it. So yes, you can help with the water and you just have to be consistent. So you have to work with us to, you know, to make sure you're doing it right. But that's great. That's one of the things we love to do. We've started planting on school grounds. And in that situation, you really have to work with the janitorial staff, but also with the kids, also with the teachers to show them this is how we water them. This is what we do. And it really helps if you can do it right. So it sounds like there's a lot of need for education um, to teach people how how trees are and what they do and all that stuff. Is that something you do? We all do it. Yes, yeah, something I do, of course, is go out and give talks and you know do these kinds of programs, all that kind of thing. And one of the things we really want to get across is that this it's not just a one and done thing. We don't plant a bunch of trees. And go, OK, we're done. The city's fine now. We've got trees everywhere. Unfortunately, that's what often happens. You look at a lot of subdivisions as a nursery owner and an avid horticulturist. I can look at a neighborhood and tell you when it was built by the tree species that are on the street in front of it. Because we have had fads and trends and tree industry, just like every other one. And I'll go, okay, this is all from the 1970s. No one has been planting tallow trees since the 1970s. You know, I recognize the species and I know when it was built. And this is an important concept I want to get across because I, I really want people to understand it's an ongoing thing. Because due to age, and drought. We've had 10 years with two major droughts before this amazing winter we just went through. Other climate issues like extreme heat, weird out of season rainfall, construction issues, pests and diseases. New one, new one is solar panels are just a big factor that we had never even thought about before. We are losing more trees than we're planting. I said that about five years ago after a conversation with the city arborist, we did sort of a back of the envelope uh, calculation. We meaning the city and Tree Davis, you know, between us planting in public areas. What the, what the, you guys are doing out there in your own homes, we have no you know data on that. But we were were and still are 
losing more trees than we are planting. So that means we've got to keep planting trees. There's a lot of different reasons. It's nobody's fault usually. It just is an ongoing population with changes over time. And we need to identify where those changes are gonna become a problem soon and where they're gonna be a problem 10 or 20 years down the road, most likely. And a, a new wrinkle in this with planning this process, bear in mind, trees live 50 to 100 years or more, figure 60 to 80 for lots of big trees, what do you think the temperatures are going to be like in the Sacramento Valley 60 to 80 years from now? What do you think the rainfall patterns are going to be like in the Sacramento Valley 60 to 80 years from now? Can trees sustain extreme drought? Well, we have some data on that now. Can they sustain extreme heat? So we're looking beyond the usual assortment of trees, trying to bring in new ones and experiment with them. Well, how do you experiment with trees? You do a planting and then you go check it 10 years later, 20 years later. So this is a long-term education research and planting process. So who's keeping the records of what trees got planted where and when you have to go check on them 10 years from now? There are people who actually do that research, which amazes me. I've always been really, really impressed by the researchers in urban forestry and all kinds of forestry research because it means that almost always you're setting up something that someone else is going to take over. You're setting up a planting project that is going to check five years down the road, 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road, 40 years down the road. There's a huge elm project going on across the United States right now. Elm, everybody loves elms, especially back east, but elms were a big part of Davis and Sacramento canopy when I first moved here. They're all gone pretty much. Well, work was done on finding individuals that were resistant to Dutch elm disease. Work was done on finding hybrids, making hybrids. Then what do you do? You plant them and you wait 40 years? Well, kind of, yeah, that is kind of what you do. So about, I think it's about 20 years ago, a thousand elms were given away by a big nursery all over the country to different places to plant out groups of these different new varieties and see how they did. And we're evaluating those now. So we're evaluating new elms for Davis, just as one example of something get, that gets done. Uh, it's taken this long since the 1930s to now to come up with new varieties of elms that people can start planting for downtown tree plantings for you know to replace other species that have become problematic i can remember now i've been in davis since 1968 i came here to go to school and i can remember 70s 80s when the city said if you are building a shopping center you have to put in landscaping which includes trees and so that trees in the parking lot that was the that was the thing then yes. i also remember because i lived out in east davis on eighth street there was a shopping center half of it people kept the trees alive the other half of it i don't think anybody touched those poor little things and they just withered and died and and there's no trees than that half. <laughs> so, I know exactly what you're talking about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah it's, it was so sad. So is, is the problem that parking lots are not good places for trees to grow? Or is it that it was done too too small an area to put the tree in? Or what? what well, that, interestingly, what that particular shopping center, the ownership was split in two. You are mm -hmm. exactly right as to how that went. Um, yes, parking lots are very challenging environments, and they're also the most important places for us to plant trees, uh, because that's where urban heat island effect occurs, is big, vast expanses of asphalt. And in point of fact, it is still the law in Davis that a parking lot must be planned at the time of 
uh, development and all the permits and all that stuff, one of the things they look at it on plan check is will the species chosen provide 50% shading of the parking lot within, I think it's 15 years. Now you can drive around and look at all the parking lots in Davis. I have there's done this. None of them that are have. I that, found, that I there's one. Them. There's one in South Davis where they have gotten there. Uh, there's one around an apartment complex where they've gotten there. For the most part, if they've got twenty to twenty-five percent shading, they're doing extremely well. But uh, it's a big problem because it's a very hot, difficult environment. Typically, irrigation just stops after a while. So there are certain things that we know will make a, a, a tree likelier to succeed in a parking lot. And the first and foremost is picking the right species of tree you know talking to actual tree experts and planting something that we know will live on its own eventually without irrigation if necessary give it enough soil volume this is crucial little tiny tree wells well that tree is never going to expand its roots will be constrained you want to see good good or if i should say bad examples of that the uh, parking lot near um, in North Davis, uh, in, near uh, CVS and, and Nugget, not their fault, but it's their, their parking lot. Um, big little areas, 10 by 10, you know, for a tree that should get 40 by 40. We know how much root volume a tree species needs. We know that a big tree needs big root volume. We know what that volume is. So it's a matter of making sure that that gets provided. Water it when it's young water it appropriately when it's older. Hopefully you've chosen something that won't need constant irrigation as it grows, but continued irrigation will help it grow faster. And something we've also learned that's kind of counterintuitive, planting things around it, planting other landscaping with the trees seems to make a big difference in the success of the trees, not because of some friendship between the shrubs and the trees, but because they also get irrigated. Typically, when you landscape around a tree, you don't just put in one bubbler for the tree, you also put in irrigation for the plants nearby. So it means the roots can expand more quickly and the trees seem to establish better. So I do like the saying that I, I, I present at every talk I give, which is that the history of urban forestry has been a process of learning from past mistakes. Almost every parking lot we look at shows those past mistakes. But every now and then, I'll see a parking lot that's really worked. There's one on Drake Drive, for example. We gave them one of our tree stewardship awards. The Chinese elms in that parking lot provide almost 100% shading. The trees are integrated into the parking lot. They're essentially given their own parking space, the equivalent of a parking space for each tree. That's a pretty good rule of thumb. Medium-sized tree needs about the equivalent of one parking space. So this is a design issue. Landscape architects need to be aware of it. City staff needs to be able to look at plans and say, oop, wait, you're never gonna get there. You don't have enough soil volume for the species you've chosen, or you've chosen species that are not appropriate here. Those are kinds of things that need to be addressed from a policy standpoint and also at the implementation. And then here's the other one. There's no follow-up after they go in the ground. So we do need enforcement and that's a, a whole kettle of fish right there. But uh, enforcement means making sure that five years down the road, 10 years down the road, the trees are performing as it was promised. Do we have people who, who go out and, and uh, knock on doors and say, uh, this parking lot hasn't been watered in a year. <laughs> no, but we do have a gentleman in Davis who I always like to give a shout out to. He calls himself the uh, Davis Lorax, and his name is Alan Hirsch. And Alan goes around, and he literally, this is one thing Alan did. And we, yes, he does tell people that they need to plant trees. And he also tells the city where trees are not being ca cared for. And he comes to Tree Davis. He brought us 
a map that showed 82 spots in the downtown where trees could be planted. A detailed map showing places where trees could hypothetically at least be planted, where there was no canopy, where there was open soil, where they could be planted. It was sort of a why aren't there trees here map. And I took that and I marked it up and, and cleaned it up a little bit and handed it over to the city arborist, the previous one, who went out and a bunch of those spots would be very challenging because of wires or, or infrastructure that's in the way. But a whole bunch of them could be planted. He's right. And so we're looking at that. One of the things that Tree Davis does is find places to plant trees. It's a matter there of working with the city, working with property owners, working, figuring out who's going to give that follow-up irrigation, choosing the species when there's all these conflicting demands about what kind of trees to put in. But yes, we do have our own, our very own dedicated activist who goes out and keeps an eye on these things. We've got a lot of other people in Davis who really care about trees. And sometimes they just don't know what to do. They just don't know who to reach out to. So it can be a City official, it can be the city arborist, or it could be an, a nonprofit like Tree Davis. So, when you get one of these talks, what do you talk about? I uh, talk about this concern that we have about the fact that we're losing more trees than we're planting. Our specific concerns. Let's talk. Let's let's look at the the downside first a little bit. The fact that there's whole groups of trees that were planted 40, 50, 60 years ago. Some of them turned out to be poor species choices. Some of them were losing due to drought, very, very serious problem with some species that were thought to be fine here in the 1940s and 50s and 60s and are turning out needed more water. Well, we weren't having droughts like that back then. Aging cohorts of trees is the term I use for that. And a real big concern is new pests that are always coming in. The history of urban forestry is a history of one disease or pest after another coming in that wipes out all of one thing. The Dutch elm disease is the classic one most people have heard of. What most people here in the West haven't heard of is the emerald ash borer is an example of a, a pest right now that's killing specifically only, thank goodness, ash trees, but by the millions. And we have ash trees in Davis. We have ash trees in Sacramento. This pest had made its way to about the Mississippi River, and then it showed up in Oregon. It's well established there. There's no controlling the pest. It's going to move in to every region that has ash trees and kill everything in that genus. We know that. So that's probably 10 to 20 years down the road that it'll keep doing, it'll do that. But we need to plan now for replacing those trees. And because of that, that brings us to a really important thing that I talk about every time I talk about trees, the importance of species diversity, having enough different kinds of trees that if something does come in and kill out all of one thing, or if we have a sustained drought that really takes its toll on coast redwoods or something like that, we have enough diversity that we don't lose our whole canopy. Let me give you an example. You mentioned Arthur Drive, which goes north from Russell Boulevard, north from Fifth Street, Russell Boulevard. When I moved here, Arthur Drive was lined all the way down with California white alder trees, Alnus rhombifolia, a California native tree. It's native on the other side of the coast range, but fast growing, looks like a giant birch tree. Actually, it was one of my favorite trees when I moved here. They had a lot of drawbacks, aggressive roots and things like that. But what really happened in the 1980s, a clearwing borer came into the valley, was host specific right to the California white alder. It didn't even hit Italian alders that were nearby, different species, but it killed every one of those trees all the way down Arthur Drive. They're all gone within a decade. For 10 years, there were no trees shading that, and then they replaced them gradually with the hybrid sycamores, the plane trees, London plane tree, which in another 10 years finally gave a canopy. So for about 20 years, that street was without its shade canopy because of a very host-specific pest that killed one particular species. 
Did that particular species get killed all over or just in certain places? In other words, have, have we eliminated that from existence? I am unaware of any California white alders successfully growing in Davis. I don't think range. When you say we have uh, a certain trees that were planted at certain times, what's cohort, Davis, aging and cohort. What does Davis look like as far as what's what's the most common tree here, and are or do we have a problem like the white alders? There weren't very many of them; they were all in one spot. But... They were in certain neighborhoods. Yeah. It, what, yeah. Yeah, well, what it was is that lack of species diversity on that one street and in certain neighborhoods. Yeah, and so fortunately, they weren't all over town. We do have a couple of species that people may sort of take for granted that they're not that aware of, but they're the big trees that are our background trees. The London plane tree, which uh, a lot of us call sycamore because we know Western sycamores. London plane platinus is the genus. It's a hybrid. It is one of the most widely planted urban trees in the world because it's very tolerant of smog, root compaction, you name it. It's a very successful tree, and it's there's, um, we get, our estimate is that just on a species count, there are about 8% of the trees in Davis, but in terms of their portion of our canopy, which is another way of looking at it, what percentage of the trees that are shading us are London plane trees? Almost 19% because they're so big and many of them are very old. And a lot of them are not very healthy, but some of them are wonderful. So it's a, it's probably the dominant species. We do see a lot of uh, uh, valley oak, which is our native oak species, Quercus lobata, thought to be about 12 or 13% of our canopy. Here, a Chinese pistache, which everybody knows in the fall because of the beautiful fall color that they have, about 10% of our canopy. And then some others that are up there in the top 10, coast redwood, unfortunately, because of the drought. Chinese hackberry, unfortunately, because of a sticky aphid that that particular species gets. Clariana pear, better known as Bradford pear, still about eight or 9% of our canopy. And that's a real problematic tree. Branches break out of it, gets these disease problems and mistletoe. Chinese tallow tree, about 8%, seven or 8% ash trees, which I mentioned earlier, we're gonna have a pest problem on those. Surprisingly, because they're smaller trees, it's thought that about seven or eight percent of our canopy is crepe myrtles. That's just because there's so many of them. There are thousands of crepe myrtles planted here because they love the heat. They do very well here. No problem with that, except for a nuisance pest it gets. There's a bunch of others, but two that I do like to mention whenever I give talks on this are two that are kind of unique to Davis. One is the Canary Island pine. I don't know why in the 50s and 60s so many of them were planted around Davis from the Canary Islands, which have a very similar climate to ours, a dry summer, wet winter kind of climate. And there's a lot of them around both East Davis and also far out in West Davis. It's the, the most common pine species in the Davis area. Very upright grower. You've probably seen them and never really known what they are. That's Canary Island pine. Uh, so those are surprisingly common here. Um, well, there's a couple of others we could talk about, but that in particular, oh, the cork oak, that's another one that has a unique history, which is that one professor at UC Davis, a viticulture professor or enology, which is a study of winemaking, was deeply concerned after World War II that something might interrupt the supply of corks for wine bottles. I was told this by a gentleman who was given a one gallon cork oak and planted it on his home on Parkside Drive in 1949. And I have a picture of that gentleman in 2010. 
2010, when he was in his 90s, almost 100 years old, Dr. Milton Hildebrand, standing in front of this, doing very, very well here. It turned out to be uniquely, beautifully adapted to the Davis area. Also, a bunch of them were planted up in Chico, but not that many others around California. So it was sort of a unique species, turned out to be a great choice. And those of you who know Olive Drive, there's a couple of big old specimens there. There's a nice one right to the side of Hibbert Lumber, a lot of them on campus, all because of one gentleman who wanted to get them popularized in the area so that we'd have a reliable supply of wine corks, or so that's the story I am told. <laughs> and and I can, being a docent at the Arboretum, I've, I've heard that story, and I, I heard a little bit more, which is that they discovered they didn't know how to harvest the cork to make right. <laughs> wine bottle corks out of the tree. And so they got someone from, I think it was Portugal, to Portugal come over was native. and yeah. teach them how to do this. And this was many, many, many <laughs> years later. Um, but, uh, yeah. So anyway, well, that, that, if you ever that, that go to the quad, go and see all those beautiful cork oaks right around the quad. Yeah, yeah, and this illustrates how just one person, one landscaper, one nursery guy, one tree group can really affect the whole canopy of, a, of an area. I was really fascinated to notice that Stonegate, which is the west part of, Sacram of excuse me, of Davis, a lot of conifers out there. I don't know why, but there's a lot of deodar cedars and coast redwoods and Canary Island pines and even stone pines unique to that region, probably because the guy who developed that area liked them. That uh, can be a simple reason. Some were good choices, some were not so good choices. So of those 10 species that you just talked about, the 10 that that give us the most of the canopy, um, yeah. what of those are problematic now or you think are, are going to be going away soon or anything like that? Well, there's, there is the concern about the ash trees. As soon as the emerald ash borer shows up in the Sacramento Valley, we'll probably lose that seven or 8% of our canopy that is comprised of different ash species. Fraxinus is the genus. So we should start planning now. This is not something that's going to happen overnight, but that one is a particular concern. Uh, the Chinese hackberry, the biggest threat to that is two-legged people with chainsaws because the Chinese hackberry hosts a particular aphid, the Asian woolly hackberry aphid, which only goes on the Chinese hackberry. Doesn't go on the common or the European hackberries, but unfortunately, the most widely planted hackberry in Davis back in the 40s and 50s was the Chinese hackberry. We were still selling them in the early 80s when I opened our, our business, and then within a few years, this pest showed up, so everybody stopped selling them. But if you live under one, it's like having a light rain of maple syrup on your whole yard every day coming down this sticky drip and when it showed up many people were ready to take those trees out and i think the biggest threat there simply comes from this nuisance pest it isn't a particular threat to the health of the tree but a lot of them started coming out you either have to treat them with an insecticide a systemic or live with a sticky drip or people just started taking them out so that's a threat but probably the biggest one that concerns me right now after two major droughts over the last decade is the coast redwoods Sequoia sempervirens, which is probably 10, 11, 12% of our tree canopy in Davis. They were widely planted here, 1940s, 50s, 60s. It was the top selling conifer when I opened in the 1980s. And we knew it wasn't drought tolerant. We knew that it needed to be in irrigated settings. 
but we didn't know what kind of profound drought we were about to go through in this last decade. The two major droughts of 2010 to 15, 2018 to 20, where we saw levels of, of rainfall that were less than we'd ever seen here before. And we had statewide water cutbacks implemented. We were told cut our water use by 30%. If you do that to a lot of trees, they'll be okay. We can get through it. The plane trees, the oaks, things like that. Not a coast redwood. And there's a lot of coast redwoods dying around town and coming out or becoming dangerous because of drought stress. Uh, there's plenty of visible examples of that in public areas. And there's plenty not so visible in people's backyards where they simply aren't aren't getting enough water. They could have been saved by careful irrigation, either, even with a 30% cutback, you could have targeted irrigation at them, but that didn't happen. So we're probably gonna lose that percentage which is about 10% of our tree canopy. So that's a lot, that's a lot to lose with one species. And so we need to start finding replacements for those. That's probably the most immediate threat there. Uh, some of the others, Chinese tallow trees, there are a lot of them planted in village homes, 135 of them in the village home subdivision uh, when it was built in the late 1970s. Turns out their lifespan is about hmm, 50 to 60 years. So they're reaching the end of their natural life. They're sort of falling apart. They need to be replaced. So there are that's an example of one part of town where they're going to have to and are doing. They have to do and are doing some careful planning for how to replace those trees. So what else do you want us to know about about trees and and that sort of thing? What's what's real important? Um, I want people to know how to successfully plant, choose and plant a tree. And it's okay. really actually pretty simple. First thing is to choose the right species. That's where how you, do you know. Go. How do you know what the right species is? Well, you go talk to a professional, which I will go ahead and say I am one. <laughs> so choosing the right species. One of the things we're doing, one of the things that Tree Davis is participating in is a regional process right now of making a database with specific lists of trees for particular situations. It's a surprisingly complicated subject, but we're, we have brought together people from the Arboretum, the city of Davis, city of Sacramento, you know, the Sacramento Tree Foundation, uh, the Arboretum and the campus and so on. And we're, and the city arborist is kind of the, the or, overlord on all of this. And we're developing a database and deciding what are the factors that make up a good list of trees that people have good informed choices you, you really should understand there's a lot of places that sell trees there there's nobody there who knows anything about trees and that's one of my real pet peeves in the nursery industry is that trees are sold at places where there's no expertise and so people will walk in and buy a eucalyptus tree or, a, or an ash tree they're still out there or a bradford pear they're still out there or a coast redwood and plant these trees and they're just making a problem for someone 20 30 years down the road so choosing well choosing carefully and in in asking questions you need to talk to whoever the professional is about how you're going to irrigate it how much room does it have how much soil area does it have but also how much airspace does it have do you actually have a yard big enough for say a valley oak or do you need to be thinking in terms of a smaller tree on the scale of a crepe myrtle or a desert willow or something like that so give it enough soil give it enough space so no one will be tempted to prune it just because they think it's too big give it enough soil so it will grow to its actual potential give it enough airspace so it's not going to ever be a problem for someone down the road and keeping that in mind Every new house has to have solar panels now in the state of California. Your neighbor may have put in solar panels, may object to you putting a very large tree in a place where it's going to cast a shadow on them. So choose carefully. That way there won't be a problem 10 years, 20 years down the road. Plan it properly. And this is actually pretty simple, but and you can find little guides out there. We don't amend the soil. 
We don't put a bunch of stuff in. We just dig a nice wide hole with the native soil. We loosen it up so that it's maybe, let's say, three feet across. And we plant the tree slightly above grade, in fact. So if, if it settles, it will not be below grade. And we make a basin so that we can give it that 10 to 15 gallons of water every week or every two weeks, if that's all you can do. But every week would be better. All at once is great, but stake it if appropriate. Train it as needed. That's where you want to talk to someone who knows what they're doing. I see more trees damaged by stakes than almost anything else because they're improperly staked. And then giving it water, careful watering the first two to three years is really crucial. So that was a long checklist, but that is make a proper planting hole. Make sure you've chosen a tree that's appropriate to your site. Stake it and train it properly. Watering for the first two to three years is really crucial. So can you overwater a tree when you're when if 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 you're not really good about knowing exactly what to do Mm -hmm. yeah too much water yeah well too much this is something that actually comes up on our garden show a lot you know we need to be precise in what we really mean because if we say too much water they might think oh that's too many gallons of water too frequent watering can be a problem Excess moisture around the stem, uh, around the trunk of the tree can be a real problem. You can't, you could basically not give it too much water at once. I mean, let's not test this, the limits of this, but it's not a matter of, oops, I gave it 30 gallons and Don said 10 to 15 gallons. 30 gallons might waste water, but it won't hurt the tree. Frequency of irrigation can be a problem. There are soils around Davis in some neighborhoods. And I think it's really important when you move into a house, move into a yard to learn what your soil is like. Uh, We have soils in some areas that have have more clay in them. Uh, So the water infiltrates more slowly, which means you have to water more slowly and it stays wet longer, which means you have to be careful not to keep it too damp around the crown of the plant where you can lead to certain disease and pest problems, the most common being crown and root rot. Uh, That's particularly a problem for anyone listening in, just to mention a couple of neighborhoods, Stonegate, where there's very heavy soil, Binning Track, North Davis Meadows, where there's very heavy soil, the Cannery, which is a new subdivision that had heavy soil, and they brought in a bunch more, even heavier soil. They subdivided it. New neighborhoods have unique problems in this regard. Spring Lake area in, in Woodland was a gently undulating floodplain, and they built a whole lot of houses there, and so they took all the undulations away, and they scraped off soil from some areas and filled other areas and there are some streets where none of the trees are establishing well and the next block over they're all flourishing it may be the same species simply because of what was done to the soil during subdivision and the type of soil they're starting with so locally compacted soils may need to be loosened up at the time of planting that's sometimes the case more commonly i'm talking to someone after the fact since i do a lot of troubleshooting at my garden center and they just need to water more slowly like a drip irrigation system that puts out water one or two gallons per hour at each emitter so just as one example and then they have to run it for a long enough time to give that tree that minimum 10 to 15 gallons and i love for them people only take one thing away from this whole radio broadcast once a week 10 to 15 gallons through the first couple of summers is going to be really crucial to that tree all at once if you can possibly do that just recently had a conversation with a customer who was saying, well, I really can't do that. Everything else is running twice a week. Okay, twice a week is a reasonable compromise. Five to seven and a half gallons for the tree twice a week will give it what it needs. I would prefer that it go a little drier and a little deeper watering uh, each week, but 
well, all right, we, we make the compromises that we make. Uh, it's not great typically to have a tree in a lawn, for example, where you're watering every couple of days and just doing a very shallow watering. One, that'll lead to a very shallow root system on the tree. And two, it's not the optimal way to get that tree established. So watering correctly is a really important thing to find out about. And if you're in a neighborhood, uh, you happen to have soil where the water soaks in pretty well. I do too. I'm on a wonderful farm with silty loam soil. Uh, so I don't have a huge issue with this, but there are places where if they put too many emitters on and run it too fast, it'll run off rather than soaking in. Well, then obviously that's not benefiting the tree and it's wasting water. So learning to water correctly is really an important part of this. Are there places where you can get something with pictures? We On the radio show, we can't show you pictures. So is there a place, <laughs> like, do you have articles with pictures on your, on your website or on the Tree Davis website? Or what, what can people do to, to see what you're talking about? TreeDavis.org. Yes, by the way, redwoodbarn.com, my business website. There's tons of information about trees, lots of articles I've written over the years. Interestingly, the most popular one in terms of people, you know, the hits, uh, the, the data that I get is trees I don't recommend. People really <laughs> seem to like that list. I don't. I think it's kind of a funny way to go about it, but it is a very important list to have. Here's, here's what we don't recommend and why. And it's a good uh, you know, thing to know. It is, yeah, because the important thing to know for Davis listeners is uh, if you head over to Sacramento, there's a few trees that they do sell in Sacramento that I'm still not recommending to people, dogwoods and tupelos and things, because of our water quality issue. Even though our, our water is better, it's not as good as Sacramento water, so there's an issue there. So there are trees that are just you know less less recommended. There's also a whole category, just briefly, of trees that I call garden trees. You know, these are trees like Japanese maples. I have a ridiculous number of Japanese maples. I mentioned at the start of the show, I collect maples. I don't sell you a Japanese maple and say, this is going to be a long-term tree for the neighborhood that people are going to appreciate a hundred years from now. It's a garden tree. If we go through a drought and whoever's living in that house cuts their water way back, the Japanese maple is going to suffer really badly. It won't die, but it will, it will definitely not be happy. So there are trees like that, that we, we refer to as garden trees, uh, which are not trees that can be on their own once they're established. They're, that's simply not going to be the case with a lot of particularly trees from eastern rainier climates than what we have here. So those would be on my not recommended for street trees list, but certainly okay for you to plant in your garden. But it is kind of funny that people are really, really like to know which trees we don't recommend. I have a lot of those trees. I mean, there's trees that I wouldn't, I wouldn't sell you a weeping willow, but I have three of them. I live on a farm. I found places where I could plant three weeping willows, one of my favorite trees. You wouldn't put one in your yard. The roots would go everywhere. They'd buckle the concrete. They would be a huge problem for you. So they're definitely on my not recommended list, but that's why. There's reasons why they're, not, why they're on that list. So that's the first thing. Talk to someone who knows the trees and will help you with the trees that are appropriate to your site. And Tree Davis is all about shade. It's not about um, having a pretty little Japanese maple at the at the corner of your house so that everybody who walks in goes, oh, how cute. I have a few of those. Oh, how cute trees. Yeah, I have, um, I have a lot of them. <laughs> and then and then you the, Tree Davis is not about um, getting plums and peaches because that's not right. a shade tree. I mean, a shade tree is not something where you want fruit dropping on your head. No, fruit trees have been an interesting conversation. Now, many of them are such high input things that we wouldn't put them on a list of trees for a yard anyway. Now, some of them, uh, persimmon trees, walnut trees, uh, which are not fruit, but nuts, uh, pomegranates, which are incredibly drought tolerant, olives. There are trees that produce fruit 
that you can consider for using as shade trees or decorative trees in a parking lot and so on. Uh, we do mention that fruit litter can certainly be a problem. So we wouldn't be planting them in someone's front yard as a, as a street tree or even really recommending them for a, a major commercial parking lot, but they, there may be appropriate places for them. Conventional fruit trees are probably not gonna be on a list of recommended trees. Again, we would call those garden trees. How do people find out more from Tree Davis? Just, I know Tree Davis goes out and plants trees. You said you did that big project. It's now done, except for the watering. Mm -hmm. But how, how about this education component? How yeah. do people find out? How, what are you doing? Oh, yeah. We, I did, I'm sorry. I went on a major digression there. TreeDavis.org treedavis.org and there are great youtube videos there there are some great articles there on how to plant trees for those of you who prefer to see things in that format you'll also find articles that have been written about how to water trees uh, so that's just one of the many resources and every tree foundation every tree organization has those sacramento tree foundation has some wonderful educational information on their site and except with respect to certain species that we would perhaps not use here in davis there's nothing on their site that i would think is problematic here i mean we're we're basically the same climate. Uh, so you will find good information there. The city of Davis, just for the record, has some great information on their website, and they do a tremendous job of getting the information out there. Uh, so there's places you can go, and the Arboretum, of course, is a wealth of information about various tree topics. Right now, as we're, we're uh, just taping this show, if you will, uh, there's an article about uh, how the campus and how the Arboretum are going to deal with the number of trees that were lost in the great windstorm of January 2023, and how they're choosing species to replace them, and the project they're doing, embarking on to test new tree species all across the campus and in the Arboretum. That's in the most recent newsletter from the Arboretum. So check out arboretum.ucdavis.edu and look through some of their past newsletters. You'll certainly find information there. So all of your local nonprofits, we have an incredible resource at the UC Davis Arboretum. And of course, you know, you'll find articles on private websites like my own as well. So if you move into a house that you haven't lived in before and there's a tree there, how do you know where to put the water so that the tree roots get watered? Because I know that I know the tree roots don't go straight down like the cartoon trees are. They actually go out. But how far out? Uh, they go wherever there was water before when they were getting established. And typically root excavation studies have shown they can go 50% past the canopy of the tree easily, sometimes much further than that. So all that irrigation you're doing of your lawn and the shrubs nearby and the ground cover over there was partially watering the tree as well. It may not be the only way. You may have had a line specifically watering the trees in your yard, or you may have been watering them by hand somehow. But when you suddenly change your landscape, this is why this is so important. During the early part of the drought, the state wanted people to cut back their water use. And a lot of people found, of course, the simplest way, take out your lawn. Um, and they just stopped watering the silly people. That was a very simple way to kill your lawn. No question. At least it would kill the grass part. It wouldn't kill the weeds, but it would kill the grass part. And the neighbor did that. And the neighbor did that. And all down the street, I remember looking at one street where everyone had taken out their lawn. Okay, that's good. And they went and put in low water landscapes. Okay, that's also good. But now you've got to carefully plan for watering the trees. Now you've got to make sure they're part of the irrigation of the new landscape as well. It can be as simple as running the whole thing for a really long time once a month, 
or running it longer than you think is necessary for the new plants because you know you got to go deeper for the trees but just as a rule of thumb figure it's at least a third to a half past let's say it's a 20 foot diameter tree it could be going out the roots could be going out 25 to 30 feet from the trunk so keep that in mind if you really want to water the tree itself let's say you've killed your lawn but you know you've got to water the tree a really simple three ring drip contraption will do it you take a, a ring of drip around the trunk roughly a couple feet out and another ring of drip out several feet more or less on the edge of the tree's canopy and another ring of drip past the canopy by a few feet. So three rings of drip and you have high enough output emitters that you can run that for several hours overnight if necessary, because drip can run for a long time without wasting water and know that you're penetrating to a depth of about 18 inches. Because that we have found is roughly where let's say 85% of a tree's roots typically are. It's variable, but that's a pretty good rule of thumb. So a really thorough soaking to a foot and a half to two feet deep past the canopy of the tree once a month for low water species, twice a month for higher water species, we'll get them through a drought and keep them healthy. And Don has this trick that he does. He bought a really long screwdriver. It's like a <laughs> 20 inch, 18 inch screwdriver. Yep, 18 and inch. Stick it in the ground. And if it doesn't go all the way in, you didn't water long enough. It goes easily into soil that's been moistened and won't go as easily into soil that hasn't been moistened. So that's, uh, I, I've been told by landscapers, I should sell 18 inch screwdrivers. <laughs> it's one of the simplest tools you can use for determining. By the way, there's really fancy moisture sensors out there that you can buy some of them with Bluetooth that'll tell your computer when you need to water your trees. Yeah, you can do that if you're into that kind of thing. But an 18 inch screwdriver is a lot cheaper. <laughs> and for our listeners, know that Don and I do a garden show called the Davis Garden Show here on KDRT, and that has archives of lots and lots and lots, years worth of archives there. So you can go back and you can listen to other shows in from the past if you are interested in that sort of thing. If you have a tree and you need some advice upon that particular tree, what do what do people do? What should people do, Don? Who should they ask? Yeah, this is really important. There is follow-up care needed for trees, and it's not, you know, some and trees vary, by the way, as to how much they need. And any corrective pruning, any training pruning, or any long-term maintenance of the tree should be done by a licensed certified arborist who's insured. You may need to have a tree looked at if you buy a house with a very old tree on it, then you need a consulting arborist or a certified arborist with a lot of experience. So that's a different professional level, generally follow, generally involved in the maintenance and the aftercare. And they may have certainly have opinions about what kind of tree, they will, I guarantee they will have opinions about what kind of trees you should plant. They've been some of our great sources of information you'll mention a species and they'll go oh my god we always get calls about those after the wind blows okay maybe that shouldn't be on our <laughs> list of recommended species so don't forget certified arborists when you're talking about all of this but yeah your local nursery professional uh the cooperative extension folks the arboretum is a great source of information and we're always happy to take your questions at the davis garden show thank you listeners for being with us today this has been the that's life with lois richter and my guest don shore